Hello, I'm Jos Verstappen and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Hi everyone and welcome to Beyond the Grid, presented by the new Bose noise cancelling headphones 700. I'm Tom Clarkson and joining me this week is a driver from the Netherlands who caused a major stir when he jumped in an F1 car for the first time. So much so that everyone wanted his signature. Does that sound familiar? Well, no, I'm not talking about Max Verstappen, but his father, Jos. Some 25 years ago, Jos had the same meteoric rise through the junior formulas as his son. Like Max, he jumped straight from Formula 3 into Formula 1 via a hugely impressive debut test that made the front pages of every motorsport publication. Unlike Max, however, Jos's debut season was something of a baptism of fire, quite literally, in fact, as he went up against the great Michael Schumacher at Benetton. In all, Jos raced for six teams during his 10-year Formula One career, the highlight of which was a couple of podiums in 1994. Would things have panned out differently for him had he not gone up against the best driver of his generation? Possibly. But you sense when speaking to Jos that his racing career was a mere fact-finding mission ahead of perhaps his ultimate destiny, which was helping prepare his son Max for greatness. For all you racing dads out there, this would appear to be the blueprint of how to make a success of your son's career. I sat down with Jos at the recent Belgian Grand Prix, where fans supporting his son packed out Spa-Francorchamps. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jos, welcome to Be On The Grid. Lovely to see you. Now, many people know you these days as Max's dad, but you were, of course, a very, very good racing driver in your own right. And you arrived on the scene with a load of hype about you. Do you remember all that? Does it feel like yesterday? Uh, no, it doesn't definitely not feel like yesterday. Uh, no, I, I did. I mean, I think the, the first test I did in Formula One was an Estoril. That went pretty well, and I think that's created a lot of hype. Well, I think you said a time good enough for tents on the grid the day before at the Grand Prix or something. No, the day after. I think uh, I did. Uh, we, we were testing on the Tuesday morning after the race. I mean, I had no clue how a Formula One car would react or how fast it was. So I had to adapt because I came out of Formula Three and the difference were huge. Uh, and then at the end of the day, I did a good lap time and I took, put me 10 on the grid or something. And I was about three tenths faster than the, the drivers who were racing that year. But I mean, let's talk about some of that momentum because German Formula Three champion, you'd won the Marlboro Masters at Zandvoort. And then, I mean, is it true that every Formula One team contacted you except for Ferrari and Williams? Did everybody else get in touch? Yeah, I mean, I tested with footwork. Uh, we had contact with, yeah, most of them. I think after the test, I did one day of testing with McLaren in Silverstone. We had contact with Eddie Jordan, Flavio, yeah, a lot of people. So Flavio Briatore, why did you choose Benetton? Because they guarantee me the year after. That's why we choose for them. Crikey, how it all panned out. <laughs> and then uh, Leto, in the first test, he had an accident and he uh, broke uh, his neck. JJ Leto. JJ Leto. Yeah. So, and then I took over all the testing and they put me in the car in beginning onwards. Now, were you ready for that first race of 94? No, absolutely not. And then next to Michael, what was not maybe the, the best choice, but I wasn't. I mean, when I compare it with how they prepare the, the drivers now, I definitely was not ready for that. But, but I mean, if, if you look back, 
where were you lacking? Because you had the raw pace. You'd proved that in the junior formulas. You'd proved that in that footwork test at Estoril. So I think physically I was not up to it. Uh, experience had nothing. Didn't you know? And then during the years, you know, you you get your experience, but you make your mistakes already. And uh, there was nobody next to me who could help me that uh, could help me with that. And that, yeah, that uh, I think played a big part. You know, when once you had a chance in the top team and you're not performing, I think you will face a very difficult career. I mean, how much did that first race, Estoril, uh, at, at Interlagos, sorry? Uh, affect your confidence because you remember was it contact with Eddie Irvine yeah I mean I think Eddie didn't see me but then there was was the contact uh, so I spun but I had never had a problem with that you know I wasn't I wasn't ever scared or no it didn't hurt my confidence at all see then we go to Aida I think you spun there spun out of the after the pistol so kind of after two races, Leto comes back. And where are you at mentally at this point? What are you thinking about Formula One? What are you thinking about your relationship with Benetton? I was still good, I think. I think uh, JJ came back in Imola. I think it was fourth or fifth race, I think. can't remember, really. But it didn't hurt my confidence. But I was still, you know, I was still trying. Every time I was trying to match Michael's pace. And... Uh, yeah, never stopped me not trying and not worrying about going off or, you know, what was bad for your career. But uh, I kept trying all the time. I mean, let's talk about Michael Schumacher then. I mean, it was still early on in his career, but what are your memories of him and where was he so darn good? Obviously, he got in the car and immediately he's fast. I mean, I think he was stronger. He, he was working flat out off track. And he knew what he was doing. And I, I think physically I wasn't, I wasn't up to the game, you know. Do you feel he politically had the team more on his side? Yeah, 100%. And yeah. by that, I mean Flavio, I mean the ten, I mean everybody. Yeah, all, all, was all focused on him. Of course, he was winning the races and he was going for the championship. Do you feel... I understand. But you understand that? Yeah, I understand. But, uh, and then, you know, after the accident of Ayrton and Imola, then there was a lot of rule changes to the team with the step floor and things like that. So all the testing went into that, you know, to help me to, uh, to get the confidence in the car, you know, to, uh, to, to make me move faster. Not like it is today, you know, they, they really help the other driver who was struggling. But at that time, they didn't care. And of course, you mentioned Senna. He got out of the car in Aida. He spun out as well. Uh, and he came out with this, you know, pretty explosive comment mm-hmm. saying that he thought the Benettons had traction control. What's your well, take on uh, that now? I definitely didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I know all the rumors and things, but I cannot prove anything. But one thing I can say, I didn't have it. Yeah. And then we go to, what is it, Hockenheim. There was the, the fire covered in flames. Yeah, How sp- scary was spun that? Spun off from fr- Michael's car on Friday qualifying. <laughs> oh, so in Michael's car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mine broke. Michael went out in his car and I went on a Friday, spun off in, in qualifying. So that was not a, a good weekend for me. But what are your memories of the fire? How scary was it? Uh, I, of course, I remember, you know, coming in and then you see the fluid. Of course, it is fuel, but at that time, you think, you know, you don't know what to expect. I always opened the visor because I needed the fresh air, and then the fire. 
went all dark and you can't breathe when you're in the middle of it. And uh, so I was looking for the steering wheel to get off. I, I think in six, six seconds it was the, the, the put out the fire and I was standing up in the car at that, at that time. But the best place where it can happen was in the pit lane, of course, with all the fire extinguishers and people Did you around. feel any anger towards the team? No. No, I didn't. I really, I didn't mind, to be honest. You know, we are racing as dangerous. As it, you know, it's, it was fine to me. And how much damage to you, your skin, I mean, burns? And I had a f- little burns on my nose, under my eyes, under my eyebrows. Where you'd that had that, was, that was the visor open, damn it. Because, yeah, I had the visor open and I think a little bit of the, I think it's the heat what burned a little bit. But that was it, hands that were okay? It, yeah, all, all fine. And given what you went through then, would you welcome the return to refueling in Formula One now? I don't mind, to be honest. I think when it's good for the sport, when it's good for the races, I think everybody would welcome it. But I don't know. It's hard to to judge for me if it should come back, yes or no. But from a know. safety point of view, you wouldn't have I it. don't. No, I don't think it uh, makes that much different those days. Well, I'll tell you what, you bounced back from that disappointment with those podiums. Oh, and we I had Hungary the, and... I finished on the podium. But I don't How know. I, what was the overriding if, if, emotion? I don't know if you can say I bounced back. I just finished fourth or third, but then the last lap, Brundle broke down his McLaren, so I overtook him. <laughs> so that was a little bit luck, but sometimes. But you how did it feel? What was the overriding emotion when you? It was on? good. I mean, with all the struggle I had, and you know, it was a tough time, but that was just very welcome at the, at the on the right moment. What did Flavio say to you? I was happy. You could see when I came in the when I came into the pit lane and he was there with Michael, you could see that he was uh, happy for me. But I must say, I always had a good relationship with, uh, with, with Flavio, every time. So when he said to you, Jos, we're going to stand you down for the last couple of races and we're going to bring in Johnny Herbert. Yeah, I, was it, yeah, it was Johnny at the yeah, end of 94. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just accepted it. But then, you know, after the year... Uh, he helped me to go to another team. He helped me to go into the Simtech with Nick Ward. I mean, it wasn't a bad car. On one occasion, Argentina was on the sixth position in the race somewhere. And then, you know, but in 98, he put me back in the test team with, uh, with Benetton. So he, he kind of, he looked after me a little bit. Was he straightforward to deal with? I'm not sure about that question. <laughs> <laughs> but the memories are good, but... You know, I mean, okay, Jos, do you regret you had the whole of the Formula One paddock after you at the end of 93? Do you regret that you ended up in a Benetton and not somewhere else? Yeah, I think when you look back at it, I should have made a different choice. Maybe I should have gone to a smaller team, learn from your mistakes and then try to to come up to a a better team. I think that's a logical uh, step and not step into a top team straight away. You needed your time at Toro Rosso to put a modern-day equivalent on it. Like that, yeah. I think one or two years in a, in a, in a smaller team to learn, to, to understand what it's all about in Formula 1, and then, yeah, the way up. Was it difficult to pick yourself up after that year? Um, not really. I mean, still, I still had belief in myself. Yeah. But did you think it was going to be harder from there you knew what you were up against both in not terms of that moment i think i still i believe you know it's not the end of the world i still i think i still could do it 
But then during my career, definitely at the at the end of it, I really thought, you know, you, that's it. You don't come up. You know, it was a tough, tough route. You know, and then with arrows and with Tyrol, you know, and that's where. And then, and then I think the last year I was done with it. I didn't. I couldn't well, do it were, anymore. When you're you with know. the minority, no, knowing that you not go, you know, go to a race weekend and have a chance of a winning or podium or whatever, I could not, couldn't do it anymore. So I, uh, I, I said I stop with it. I'm done. So, but in the mid '90s, then after that Benetton period, when you were bouncing between Simtek, Arrows, Tyrrell, as you say, Stewart, were there any highlights? I mean. Some races, I think, but at that time the reliability was not there. You know, a lot of races you didn't finish, and it was not like racing like today. You know, where you have a lot of reliability, and but at that time, at that period, it was definitely not the. Uh, you know, was but did not you there. get a kick out of just? Being in Formula One, driving a Formula One car. I think driving at the the speed, the qualifying. That's what you really enjoy. The racing. I like racing, but then it was not a lot to compete. Well, do you know? I remember the the first Grand Prix I ever came to in a working capacity was Spa 1996, and I think one of the first cars I ever saw was your Arrows. After I didn't a wishbone no, fail. It was a wheel hub Absolutely. Uh, Massive accident. Yeah, that was a big accident. There was yep. nothing left yep. of the no, car. No, no. I came in the lab before, the throttle was stuck. So I had straight into the pit lane. They checked everything. No, everything is fine. Went out again. And then that lab into where the go-kart track is. I don't yeah. know that right. Sort of Stavolo, is it? Stavolo, yeah, yeah. I went straight on, flat out. That was a big that was a big accident. Did you hurt your neck? I think Oh yeah. Hurt everything I would have So imagine. yeah, everything I was I think I was knocked out and then I got up and walk again and then knock out again. So they went I went to a hospital here in Liege. And then I, the first thing I said, ah, I'm I don't want to drive anymore. That was my first reaction. But then I think a couple of hours later, you know, you were thinking to go out again. So, but my first reaction was, oh, stop it. Was that, that was like... That the, was really... Was that the biggest crash of... Absolutely, yeah. 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 It was, well, we're still here. It was... <laughs> so it's good. Now, look, what about the Dutch fans? We were talking about Spa, and of course, you're here with your boy now, and the whole place, in fact, not just here, pretty much all of the European tracks turn orange. Yeah. Um, how was it for you? What was your relationship like with the Dutch? Also fans? quite good. Uh, I, mean, I think at the time the we had the biggest uh, we had the biggest fan club. Yeah, we had a lot of members. A lot of Dutch fans show up at, uh, at the races, but it was a big hype. But nothing like it is now with, with Max. So it's uh, where did the Jos the Boss thing start? Can you remember? What, that was that a Dutch fan? I don't or? know who called me that. And I don't know. I really don't know. I, th I know that. We had but it was on flags. Yeah, was... we had a, the fan club and we brought out a, a, a magazine every three months and that was called Joste Boss. So, and that were all, you know, we didn't have the, the Instagram and Twitter and things like that. So we did everything by, we, we sent the, 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 the fans posters and then the magazine and things like that. That was our communication to the fans. I mean, given that Max cannot move when he goes back to Holland now. What was it like for you? Were you still living there? Or? Uh, I was popular uh, as well in Holland, uh, but I was, I always lived, uh, I lived in Monaco in the beginning of my career. And then later on, I lived in Belgium. So it was, for me, it was okay. But with Max's popularity now, 
they also remember me more. So <laughs> I have a bit of the same problem. Not was- as much as Max, of course, but... Uh, but the people know me. Yeah. yeah. So look, we go. Uh, Stuart was ninety eight. But then something I really, a really meaty topic I want to talk to you about was the the Honda F one project in ninety nine. You did a lot of testing for them. What was being said to you about Honda coming in with the works team? What was on the cards at the time? That Honda would come in Formula One again with our own team. So we had a deal with them, first year testing, and if they would join. Formula One as a race team, I would be one of the drivers. And that was all written down? was in the contract. And so how good was that test car? I mean... It was good. I mean, Harvey was the leader in that. And we had some good, very good design. Tim Densham and some other good guys from, uh, from Tyrrell. They went, a lot of them went there to the Lara, to building it. Uh, so we had a lot of good people around. Steve Nielsen, team manager, and so a lot of people were still around here. They were, yeah, they were in that uh, Honda project. So uh, I really enjoyed it because the car was was good, was fast, and then everybody was thinking that we were running underweight, but we couldn't. I mean, it was on the limit, but we were never underweight. But it was just very good. And did you think finally, after this topsy turvy yes, career I've had, yeah. I'm onto a good thing here, yeah, and I'm going to end? That was the plan. But then after a couple of months, I think Harvey knew already that it was going in the wrong direction. Um, still remembering when it happened with Harvey. I was, I was with Steve Nielsen in the trailer when Harvey came in. He had a very strange color on his face and it was... Can I say, so this is at, you're at a test session? Yeah, test session. Harvey Pothelswaite's the man we're talking about. He, yeah. Was he team principal or is, is that... Uh, he was leading the project. Yeah. Okay, leading the project. So you're at a test session and yep. he comes into the truck and you that say... That was after the first day. Where are we at? Jerez or uh, Barcelona? Barcelona. So I was talking to Steve and Harvey came in and he looked a bit grey and, you know, was... But I, Harvey was a brilliant and very nice person. But he was complaining, you know, you know, touching his... You know, arm, a little bit pain. And so I looked to Steve and I said, go, go, you know, and then... They came into the hotel and Harvey collapsed. Yeah, that was very emotional, very difficult. And that was also the last time we were out on track. What did you hear from Honda after that? Was it an immediate end to the program? Yeah, I don't know. Did we go out another time? And then there was a guy coming from Honda and they say that that was it. You know, we pack up and we go. Jos, you're not the first person who's talked to me about Harvey Pothelswaite and spoken so affectionately about him. I mean, mm. for people who don't know, he had so much history in the sport yeah. with Ferrari. I, I don't know his career, of course, but I worked with him at Tyrrell. And I just, you know, we just had a click. Just was a, a nice human being, very clever. Uh, yeah, good to work with, very motivated. Uh, yeah, was a very good, good person. And the, was that the final blow for your career as well? Do you think? Uh, Did you see that as your last chance? Yeah, no, not last chance. And then we went to Arrows. You know, we had some good results there. And then Tom was very motivated. Oh, my goodness. Talk to me about Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, well, (laughs) that's a long story. And so he gave me a chance. We had some good races, but Tom is Tom, of course. And then we... Leafield... The, the place where was the team a nice, was based, great facility, wasn't yeah, it? It was big. Was uh, yeah, yeah. It was they had a lot of facilities. 
but we didn't have the results what we wanted. Was that the Sergio Rinland era when he was he there making the car? I think that was in the beginning. I think he left when I came in, and that was two thousand, I think. Right. So uh, yeah. So there was Tom Walkinshaw, and then you had. Uh, we've talked about Flavio. What about Jackie Stewart at the studio? I worked with him because I took over for Magnussen in '98. I think first race was Manicur. But then, yeah, I mean, the team had their issues with the reliability. I think the gear was was the big problem. Um, Yeah, it was okay, but not... I think the team was really concentrated on Barrichello. I mean, I got along with him very well, but uh, we had a lot of problems there. But it was still good. Technical or otherwise? Technical, technical. And with Jackie, it was okay to work with. And then, damn it. In 99, they actually came out with a good car, didn't they? And, and they, Johnny Herbert won, won that race and Nürburgring. Yeah, and, uh, yeah in, the, in the wet. Yeah, that's correct. But then I had a, a Honda project that looked very, very good as well. So, uh, yeah, but unlucky sometimes. But I mean, that's the question, isn't it? How do you reflect on it all now? Because I still remember the hype at the end of 93. Mm. And I look at you now and think, I cannot believe that that man only scored, what is it? Two podiums and, and yeah. a hand, you know, what was it, 17 Yeah, points? I mean, I'm hard to say. I mean, I'm happy with all what happened, of course, but especially now how Max is doing, you know, and on one hand, it, it is okay to me. I have no regrets or I'm not, you know, angry about things. Of course, when you had to do it again, I would have done it differently. What would but, you have done differently? No, I mean, prepare yourself better. Uh, the choices we made and things like that, you know, physically, you know, uh, have a proper trainer, you know, build it up and, and things like that. But I think, you know, it was all good for me. Uh, uh, I made money and then after 2003, I stopped and I put all my effort in in the guy who was racing now. So it, uh, it all worked out for us. We'll hear more from Jos in a moment. But first, here's some shaving advice. If you want the best quality shave for half the price of other brands out there, then make sure you go to harrys.com forward slash F1 podcast to get your hands on a trial set for just £3.95. And here's a little factoid about our friends at Harry's. There are 600 engineers, designers, craftsmen and chemists at their factory in Germany working hard and making products with only the finest materials and ingredients to ensure you get the smoothest shave possible. And getting your hands on a trial set couldn't be easier to arrange. Just enter your details online and you'll get a package delivered to your door with all you need to get going, including a weighted ergonomic handle ensuring maximum comfort and grip while you shave and five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. My handle came in a vivid orange colour, papaya orange, McLaren orange, you might say, but you can also choose from olive or navy. You'll also get a foaming shave gel to keep your skin looking good and a handy little travel blade cover to protect your kit. So that's a kit with a value of £11.50 for just £3.95. So get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your trial set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash F1 podcast. That's harrys.com forward slash F1 podcast. Now let's get back to Yoss. So what, Max was born in 97, wasn't he? So you're at Tyrrell at the time. I mean, let's talk about the lad then. I mean, 
first things first, how often did he come to races with you? I mean, was was like the first thing he ever saw almost, was a racing car or? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're still, so he was 97. So I think when he was three years old, it was 2000. I was racing in Arrows. Sometimes, yeah, I brought him to the track and. I think I've seen I, photos of him in the cockpit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then yeah. uh, when, when we go testing, I took him with me, only him and me. And then somebody of the team was, when I was driving, was looking after him and things like that. So that's quite funny. Uh, but obviously, you know, it was always about racing. I think when we were having food, or it was all about racing. So I think he's uh, brought up with it. And then given that mum Sophie's very good kart racer, isn't she? It's kind of, <laughs> he was only ever going to do one thing. <laughs> yeah, Is that exactly. fair? Yeah. Or, or? yeah, but you never know, you know, the interest of a, of a little boy. So, but, but he was keen. He was watching all the races. He was always very sad when I was leaving because he knew I was leaving because of my job and driving. He was always crying when I left home. And so he was really hanging on to me when he was very little. So he was watching it all the time. He knew what was going on. And uh, we had a go-kart team at home. My, my dad run it and so he was always on, on racing tracks and he was always watching and looking and, you know. So he's, yeah, he's brought up with the... Uh, racing that's for sure was there anything else that he could have done was there anything else he was particularly good at from a sporting point of view he played football but i cannot say he was particularly good at (laughs) (laughs) he was trying that's for sure uh, you could see when he was small his balance was very good the way he was running uh, bicycling you know he had a very very good balance all the time and what kind of a kid was he was he was he a gentle kid was he yeah very gentle very good, very normal. And what about his siblings? Any of, what, what, you know, he's the only Verstappen, baby Verstappen that we talk about. But of course he's got, what is it, how many, what are his siblings he's yeah, got? Yeah, uh, he has a sister. He's She's one. good, isn't she? She's quick, I've heard. Yeah, we did some go-kart, but I, I must say, I, I concentrated on him for racing. Because he lived also, because I split up, and Max was living with me, and Victoria was living with her mum. Because we were always away, so that's why he was living with me. We were always racing. Yeah. And uh, so I've very, always stayed in contact with my little, uh, with my daughter. Every day I was calling her and yeah. talking, you know. What's her thing? What's Victoria's thing? Does she have a particular interest she or likes, passion? She, or? Uh, she likes racing. She likes fashion. Uh, so she's doing, designing her own clothing with, uh, you know, the line what Max has on his helmet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unleash the lion she's doing. So, uh, yeah, she likes it and she likes the racing. And so can you describe the moment when you realised Max really had something, really had something? You knew he wasn't just good, he was yeah, very good. He was, yeah. That was quite early on when he was in a go-kart. I think we realised it already when he was around seven. But and what stood out? What was it that made him different? The The... the um, uh, when he uh, goes out for a race on cold tires, his first lap was always a second quicker than anybody else. So when he had the lead in turn one after the start, this, the first time he came over start and finish, he had a second lead. And then they're running on colder tires. He has a, and for me, that's talent, that's feeling, and that's what you also see in the wet, you know, when you have very little grip. That's where he is fast. And so what I'm finding fascinating is that 
some people might think that you had to push him into racing, but that's not the impression I'm getting. He was self-motivated. He was was very interesting in it. He he wanted to start very early. You know, he was always, I want to, you know, yeah, when you were a little bit older, then I knew then I had more time for him as well. But then, you know, you get your go-kart on a wheel. And my plan was to put him in a go-kart when he's six years old. Uh, he was with his mom on a, on a go-kart track in Genk nearby our house. And then he called me, Daddy, I want to go. And he was crying and because he saw a younger guy running and, and uh, I want to do it as well. So, and then when I came home, I, I remember I was in Canada for the race. So when I came home from Canada, I bought him a go-kart. So, and that's how it started. He was and- four and a half. Four and a half. And did you coach him? Were you having to tell him where to break, um, teach him the not lines? In, not in the beginning. Um, just let him have fun and drive. But I really never had to tell him the racing lines or things like that. He knew because he was watching all the time. And so here's the $10 million question. Is he better than you? Much better than <laughs> me. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously. I'm, no, no, serious. He's much better. Where is he, where I, is he I, had, I had talent. I'm, I'm, but I think the whole way he's brought up, teached, uh, yeah, I think that makes him a lot better. I kind of get the impression, and tell me if I'm wrong, that your racing career was all helped to exactly. make his racing career. Is, is, that, uh, it's, it's is, that kind of, it. is that how you see it? No, yeah, really. that's how I see it. Yeah. And that taught you... The pitfalls that you fell in, because you didn't know better. I learned a lot from my career. You learn the most from your mistakes you make. And I I looked in the mirror, I know exactly what I've done wrong or didn't do right. And I tried to, you know, to teach them only, only the good things. And was he always receptive? I mean, yeah, I've, I've got children, I know that. No, but he, <laughs> he had so much faith in me because... I was always on track and I was telling things, teaching things. And there was never any question that he didn't have trust in me. Still now, I think when, when I see things happening, I, we always speak. He, I mean, he's older now. He's, he's real. For me, he's a real man. He, he understands what he's doing. But we, we listen to each other. And he listens. Even now. He listens how I see it. He tells me how he see it. And we don't have to agree but I know him that he really thinks about what I'm saying him because I'm here not to destroy him, but to help him. And that's how he looked at me. But at what level are you discussing? Are you talking big picture career Any, decisions? Anything, or anything, will he say, life. Dad, I'm really struggling with that corner? I mean, life, anything. anything. It's, 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 it's racing, it's private, it's everything. And that's the good thing we have, you know. We have a good, we have the distance because he has his own life, he has his own friends, but we know each other. We understand. Would you say you're hands on now or are you hands off? Hands off. And sometimes hands on when it needs to. When I see things, I wouldn't say go wrong or not going in the right direction. Then I tell him. You're obviously seeing his career right from the inside. I'm looking at it from the outside and I see a huge change in him midway through last year, 2018. Yeah, I Would you agree? Is that fair? I mean, when you look at the results and the accidents he doesn't have anymore, yes. 
but he didn't change that much. And I think 2018 just didn't fall in his hands. You know, it always fell on the wrong side. Maybe a little bit too greedy. Maybe they 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 expected too much. You know, they really wanted they to go. They the team, or also him. Not only the team. They wanted to go for the world championship, not quick enough, and I maybe overdriving, over pushing it a little bit too much, because if you cannot qualifying in the first row to win a race, it's hard. So when you qualified fourth, fifth, you have to take more risk, and if you don't have the speed on the straights, you have to take even bigger risk to overtake. And I think this is what happened. He, he took too big risk to get past. That's his sort of on track demeanor mm. but i also mean off track he speaks i cannot believe he's only 21 he speaks with yeah, the maturity and I the mean, authority and the gravitas of someone 10 years older but he was always there when i giving interviews at the time there still i still had a lot of interviews and i always did it you know i invited them where i had my workshop uh, and i max was always listening he didn't say anything but he was there he The journalist asked, hey, but he understood, of course. And I think at the end, it, it has teached him uh, something. So probably is that, I don't know. I feel And that. I think also Max is, he understands, he understands the world and he's clever. He's really knows what's going on. Well, just actually, let's talk about his cleverness in terms, because you were always on the road, from a schooling point of view, what, what actually happened there in, in, in school yeah <laughs> i think afterward i heard more stories than he was at the school <laughs> he was good he was a good student but of course we were away a lot so he lost out a lot of, of the time but uh, he still had the, the good points i think he was he a diligent was he was he he didn't like it at all he didn't want to go to school there was always a, every day it was a fight to bring him to school <laughs> yeah but then um, it worked out for him My goodness, it did, didn't it? Yeah. Um, how much has Max's success changed your life? I think it changed our whole family's life, of course. In the last five years, it changed a lot. I mean, I have more time now for my private life, what I didn't have the last 25 years. So it changed Max's life a lot. It changed my daughter's life a lot. It changed his mum. It changed everything. Things, yeah. I mean, we are here, you know, working with Raymond, his manager, and me, we, and Max, we always, our three, we make the decisions, we always talk, we always have a conversation to, uh, you know, every deal, everything, we always discuss together. And I think Max, Raymond, and me, we go along very well. And this is so good to have the right people in the right place. And, you know, I, I look at another driver who, equally talented, Lewis Hamilton, he felt, God, it's something like 10 years ago now, but he felt he needed to break away from the paternal in influence, mm. the father. Can you ever envisage a day when you and Max don't work together? I think we will not come to that point that he thinks that way because I really leave him. I let him do his own things, but I always have a, my ears open and things like that. And also, you know, I'm not there to do only the complaining or Max, you shouldn't do that. Much. No, also tell him what is good. Uh, and we also have, uh, have Raymond in place. He speaks with him. You know, we have a very good relationship also in private. 
And how about your relationship with Christian Horner, Helmut Marko, the big cheeses at, at Red Bull? Yeah, it's very good. We never have issues. And I think also, it's because we're straightforward. We say what we think. I think with, 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 with Helmut and us, we never have an issue. Never. Because he also has feels that we understand what we are doing here. He says it as it is, doesn't he, old Helmut? Yeah, but that's how we are uh, as <laughs> yes. well. So, uh, yeah. And <laughs> if the driver does well, it makes your life a little bit uh, easier with Helmut. Of course, of course, it is. it's normal. Yeah. It's it's that way because he's also here to win. You know, now, he's not here to finish second. It's interesting. Well, we're talking about Red Bull. Do you remember? So you came in at the end of '93, had lots of offers, ended up with a championship-winning team. When Max was in F3, you had everybody wanting you. What was it about Red Bull that made you jump that way? He offered us to race for Toro Rosso. That it was, was a simple thing. thing. It was because a guarantee you know of a race seat. Yeah. yeah, you know how difficult it is to to get into Formula One. So when he offered that, I said immediately, "Okay, we don't do it for one year. We go for two years. You know, first year is learn, and second year we we do a proper job." Were you at all nervous? I mean, given that you actually said a little bit earlier that you probably weren't quite ready for that race drive I in '94, but I knew Max was just because his preparation yeah, prior, leading was, up to it. Yeah, I, I mean this. His raw speed, uh, the, ma the maturity he has, and also, to be honest, it's the way Red Bull picked him up and trained him and things like that, simulate, you know, they really put all effort to make it a success. Mm. And his age, or that, lack, lack that of it, did yeah. that worry you? No, no, for me it was never about age or no, no. I mean, definitely not after this first test in Formula One. And anyway, it was an older car. He had to do three on the clicks, and he jumped in, and he was. It was so natural what he was doing because I was standing on top to overview the whole track, and it was impressive what he was doing for the first time in a race Formula One car. And that gave you the confidence yeah. to say, "Son, go for it." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what about you two racing together? The whole of Holland. I think a few people from Holland might might listen to this. Want to see the two of you together? Will it ever happen? A Le Mans or a... No, I don't think so. Have you hung up your helmet for good? Mm, I wouldn't say so, but more on a hobby basis, I think. I mean, I'm doing some, drive some cars, but just for fun now. I haven't raced for nine years, I think. Do you miss it? No, because Max gives me the, 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 the adrenaline, you know, to the, the, the excitement. Does he really? Yeah, I mean, as a dad, I think it's... Uh, it's the most exciting to have your son racing, more than driving yourself. For instance, when you're on the grid before the start of a race, yeah. watching him, is yeah. your heart rate much higher than I was <laughs> racing myself? <laughs> really? Yeah, absolutely, I'm sure. It's now, exciting. It's you know, you want to yeah, that he do that he does well and but when I was racing and I, I always had like, you know, I do my best, I do all I can, you know, and that's it. And I was calm, I I wasn't nervous. But with him there and always you know, I know how he race and he has to take a little bit more risk to come to the front. You know, it's exciting. And Max is, is an exciting driver. And are you pleased, well, you must be pleased, but how do you assess his 2019 season so far? Because he's had to step up. He's become the number one and he's been very seamless from where I'm. Yeah, he's doing really well. But he also points out immediately what's good and bad. You know, he's very, uh, for him, it's easy to, to feel what is working and not. And that's what it 
team likes as well. But also, he feels that he has performed now because he's the, the main guy and he has to bring the points home. And that's what he's doing. And when he won that Grand Prix in Austria with Honda, yeah, that was did good. that give you, because of what happened in 99 and, and Harvey's death and things, was there sort of an element of unfinished business there that he was able to close that chapter for you and win um, a race with Honda? No, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about that. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it for the Honda people because they went through such a difficult time with McLaren and it was so good. And then when Max stepped onto the podium, when he pointed to the Honda uh, logo on his overall, and that was never talked about it before. That was just his, you know, he also had the same feeling, you know. And then seeing the Japanese in the garage, they, you know, they had tears in their eyes. And then you could see how much it does with those people, how much heart and effort and, and they put in in the whole thing. And that was unbelievable. Are any of the Honda guys in the pit lane now uh, from when you were there, are any of the same faces? Yeah, or? maybe one or two, but I really can't remember. I mean, my memory is probably not as good anymore, but uh, I think there was. So do you think Red Bull Honda are on the right path? They're definitely on the right path. You and, can see. But enough to see Max well, Verstappen commit to the team in the longer term? Do you well, think? we have a contract with them for 2020. Yeah. And uh, I mean... They, they want. I mean, they, 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 they're working flat out, and the team wants. You know, we want to win. We don't want to want. We don't want to finish second. So, everybody is in the same direction. So, and we will see what's happen, happening for next year. It's an important year for everybody, I guess. And is it lost on you the fact that you're kind of, he's kind of racing for the team that you race for? It's a Stuart. Yes, <laughs> mind you, the factory's I changed said, a bit. I said also right? Toro Rosso I raced for, so yeah, you did actually. <laughs> it's Minardi, Minardi, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there's of a parallels. Little, it changed a little bit. Nah, it's good. I mean, I like Red Bull team. It's fantastic to to be in. It's young, it's dynamic, it's friendly. It's a lot of fun. If you see the mechanics, it's really it's really nice. Well, Jos, it's been wonderful to talk to you. I suppose final thoughts from me are: How do you? reflect on your life so far? I mean, first of all, the racing career, when you look back at that Formula One career, how do you reflect on it? I like, at the end, I think it's good. Um, I, yeah, my own career, of course, I think it could have gone a lot better if we made different choices, but you cannot turn it back. You know, you make your choice at the moment when you have the information what you have at that moment. So we did. But I'm, I'm very happy because of what I did. I gave it to my son, and now this is all happening to us. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy man, absolutely. And would you rather, this might seem an odd question, but would you almost rather be having the success with Max yeah. than you having it yourself absolutely. 20 years ago? Absolutely. Why yeah. is that, do you think? I think you, uh, you want to have the best for your children. You know, I had my good things. I, I enjoyed it. I, have, I had fun in Formula One. I made money in Formula One, uh, you know, and that gave us what we have now. Yeah. Well, it's great to chat to you. Let's hope lots more Verstappen success in the future. We'll be there. I'm sure about that. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. That's how you do it, racing dads. Have your own F1 career, learn from your mistakes and ensure your son doesn't do the same. Easy, eh? 
Perhaps that helps explain why so many racing sons go on to become top drivers themselves. There were some great stories in that chat, but Jos only truly came alive when talking about Max, who he is clearly immensely proud of, and rightly so. It was fascinating to hear his thoughts on Schumacher, Briatore and the rest, but you sense that Jos only likes to look forward now, and the future is Max. It was great to catch up, Jos. Thanks for your time. Well, that's it for this episode. But before we go, a big thanks for all your feedback on last week's episode with Alex Albon. You had a lot to say about him, and there appears to be a lot of love out there for the young Red Bull driver. This message from Abayomi on Twitter stood out. That was by far the most refreshing and human episode of F1 Beyond the Grid yet. Alex Albon has gone through a lot at such a young age, yet he's still steely behind those calm eyes. You sense he's ready for whatever life brings next. He's here to stay. Well, it really looks like that, doesn't it, Abayomi? Alex is modest, unassuming, and he's been through a lot to get to this point. I wish him every success in the future. So please keep your feedback coming. We love it. Remember to use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid and you can tweet me at TomClarksonF1. We'll be back next week with another big name from the world of F1. Until then, why not subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Both help us enormously. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs>